Hello, hello on Education Monsters. Today we have Jackson here in Montreal with us and he's from South Dakota. He's lived in North Dakota and he's now in Montreal. Welcome to you. Thank you, Aurélie. It's good to be here. It's very good to have you here. First time. So how about you let us know who you are and where you come from? Okay, so like Aurélie said, my name is Jackson. I'm from South Dakota. I grew up on a farm, but my parents are not farmers. We just lived in the farmhouse. It's a prairie state, a plains state. It's in the very, very center of the U.S., the very, very center of North America. You cannot get further away from the ocean. <laughs> um, <my laughs> it's one of those states that are rectangle. It's pretty much a rectangle. North Dakota is more rectangular. We have a little squiggle on one of the corners. <laughs> <laughs> There are some beautiful things in certain parts of the state, but overall, it's what you would call a flyover state. Pretty much nobody is going there unless they are living there. Yeah, so you wouldn't say the tourism is high. There's one specific part of the state that's very, very scenic and beautiful, and we have a small mountain range, and we can talk about it later if we want to. So that little area of the state does get a fair amount of tourists, but the other 90%, no, I wouldn't say even one tourist. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised. And so North Dakota has even fewer. So you said that you moved to North Dakota. Um, what was the reason for it? So I grew up in eastern South Dakota, and I went to undergrad university in eastern North Dakota. The city I went to undergrad university in is called Fargo. You might know it from like the TV show series or else the movie, neither of which were actually filmed there. It's actually a city of about 150,000 people, and the shows make it look like it's a teeny town. That's huge town for the Dakotas. That's the biggest city in North Dakota. So uh, <laughs> it was the metropolis of the plains for us. <laughs> So would you say that Metropolis is more open, more liberal? So Fargo in North Dakota and Sioux Falls in South Dakota, those are the only two big cities. And they are definitely more liberal than the rest of the states. But it's a little bit like saying, like, it's I'm not quite sure what metaphor to use, but even a more liberal area is not very liberal. We'll just put it that way. I think South Dakota, in Sioux Falls, we've only had a pride parade for the last maybe five years, and it's growing, which is good to see. But yeah, much of the rest of the state is very much, very, very conservative and not a very safe place to be for anybody who's not white or who is not straight. So how did it start, the pride parade? You know, I'm not really an expert on the history of that. I did go to one of the first ones, but I'm not sure who was behind getting it started. And I don't think there was a huge pushback from the community. I think people who didn't agree with it mostly just respected it and stayed away. It's good to see the changes happening, but it's still every year we have a lot of regressive legislation being introduced and sometimes passed because we're one of the earliest in the year as far as state legislative sessions go. So they try out a lot of laws in South Dakota. It's so conservative. They think if it can pass there, we can use it as a precedent to pass somewhere else. So we kind of get used as a, a testing ground for 
discriminatory laws and practices. <laughs> how do you feel about that? Well, I don't love that. I don't love that that's how my tax dollars are being spent. Although recently I haven't been paying any taxes to the state of South Dakota because they don't have an income tax. And so as long as I haven't been purchasing anything there, I haven't been paying anything there either. But it's it's disheartening every year to have to be emailing state legislators and saying, please, not this, not again. <laughs> <laughs> But what was the uh, atmosphere when you grew up? Did you feel like he was pretty welcoming? Like you were mentioning changes, like to what degree was it? Mostly on the education level, teachers, mostly students association, families? So my high school wasn't actually even allowed to have a gay-straight alliance. It was like forbidden by the administration until they renamed it to the Social Justice League, and they were forced to take on other causes too, so it wouldn't be specifically gay. And as far as before high school, I can't really comment because I grew up going to a one-room schoolhouse in the middle of a cornfield where we learned extremely conservative, almost cult-like religious stuff. <laughs> um, and I was the only one in my grade. And like it was kind of like Little House on the Prairie, but in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit crazy, the, the journey that I've taken to end up in the gay village of Montreal. But. Yeah, it is kind of funny and kind of brave, actually. Were you in this kind of classroom where everybody from the same age or different ages group and then they gather around, they have one teacher? Yes. So my teacher who taught me fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, all subjects, taught all subjects for all of those grades every year. And we were all together in one room. And between the four grades, I think there were only six of us. Yeah. Do you know what happened to your classmates? Did you keep in touch? A couple of them are off like, like evangelizing in various like African countries and South American countries. One of them I know went to a hyper-conservative university in Oklahoma, and then I kind of lost touch with her. I'm not still friends with any of them except for a couple who also, we kind of consider ourselves the ones who escaped, I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, when the indoctrination was so much that when I first went to the public school for about two years, not only did I have no social skills because I'd never been in the same room with someone my grade, but I also thought that everybody in the public school was a heathen who was going to burn in hell. So there was no point getting to know them while still on earth. Um, and I know it sounds like fanciful, like I'm making stuff up to make the podcast interesting, but I swear to God, this is really like how. I felt at that time I was growing up in a, in a bubble, really. <laughs> And was that really your parents' choice? Like, were they conscious about what they put you in school? Well, it was a lesser of two evils for them because the public school in my town was fairly poor. Like, not as far as money. I mean, like, the outcomes, the learning outcomes were not great. A lot of kids were not coming out of the, with a good education. Whereas the small religious school, while we learned some weird shit, we got a very, very good start on reading, writing, math, all of that. So even though my parents are not crazy religious, they did send us there because it was the best option. And I think it was the right choice, ultimately. Maybe I would have pulled us out of there a year or two sooner before we got too entrenched in the rest of it. Do you know if they also went through the same education as you? No, both of my parents grew up, well, my mom grew up in a larger city in Kansas and my dad grew up partly in Tennessee and partly in South Dakota. So they both had a fair amount of like worldly experience. They lived in South Dakota 
because they went to college in my hometown together. They went to university together and their house got flooded. So they moved in with the friends who lived at the farm. And once the friends moved out, they just took the house and they just kind of stayed there ever since. Is this where you were born? Yes. I was born in Madison, which is the name of my hometown. It's about 6,000 people. It's the big town of our area. People from the other little towns of 325 come to our town to shop for groceries. Nice. So... <laughs> How crucial was it that you had to learn how to drive if you wanted to? I, I got, actually, I got my driver's, uh, my learner's permit when I was 13 and a half. South Dakota is the only state where you can start driving at the age of 14 instead of 16 or 18. And my birthday was early enough in the year that I was able to do it a half year before. So if you couldn't drive, you couldn't go anywhere, especially in my case, because I lived a couple miles outside of town and the nearest neighbor was about a mile away. So there's no public transit. My town, I think, has one taxi, but you have to call for it. They don't drive around. And I don't even think there's a way to get from one town to the other. There's not a bus and there's certainly not a train. No buses. No. I mean, there is there's a Greyhound the bus. bus. Like the school well, bus. For, for kids to get to school, they do bus them into school and there are rural routes for buses. But as far as if an adult wanted to go, for example, from Madison to the next town over, which would be Mitchell, if you don't have a car, I just don't think you can go. So when you come visit your hometown flying from Montreal, like how do you get help once you land at the airport? <laughs> have someone you... to pick you up? Yeah, you you have to land at the Sioux Falls Airport, which is the big city, and it's about an hour driving away from my hometown, and somebody from, like, my parents have to pick me up, or my grandparents have to pick me up. Okay. Sioux Falls is another story. They have public transit there, like buses and taxis and stuff, but not in my little town, and not in between different little towns. Yeah, going back to the driver's license, um, early age, it got me interested because in France, I think you can also ask for a special permit for kids i mean i mean kids but like teenagers to drive sooner but it's related to farms so they can drive yes. tractors and help out their parents do you think it has to do with that that they also want to encourage people to work on farms and to get mobility that, that is the reason that the driving age was originally set at 14 i think the thought process was everybody in the area is a farmer all the kids have been driving tractors since they were nine might as well make it formal for them to be able to drive the car too because they already are driving other pieces of machinery uh, but it's not really that true anymore i mean it's still a predominantly farming and ranching state farming in the east and ranching in the west but most of the people i know from hometown are not farmers by trade so they're not really driving a tractor at age 12 most some of them are but not most so what kind of hobbies do you have if you're not helping out your parents on farms what is it <laughs> what is there to do um <laughs> Most people just like to go on drive and see all of the nothing that's around. I'm not really sure what most people do, to be honest, because from a young age, I would say from about the age of 13, I was obsessively practicing piano, and that's what I went to university and what I got my master's degree in here in Montreal is piano performance. So I was practicing piano three to five hours every day, and I didn't have time for other hobbies, and it really was a godsend not to put too fine a point on it since I didn't have any friends and I thought they were all going to burn in hell it was good that I had the piano to fill those hours <laughs> but um, I think there's a lot of drug use too to pass the time <laughs> but what was the um, message behind all those religious brainwash indoctrination 
indoctrination what was the main message like if you had some sort of fun if you were too happy do you burn in hell <laughs> I, did, sad? i didn't i didn't run into all of that so much it like with regards to not being allowed to dance or not being allowed to date or something like that it was more along the lines of we're in the club of the ones who are actually following the bible And all of these people around here who are atheists or who are Christians, but not as strict, they're not following the Bible. And maybe God will let them into heaven and maybe not, certainly not the atheists. When you're in the middle of a cornfield, there's not a lot of people you can ask for a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> How often did you go to church? It's a little bit heresy for me to say, because I think we went to church a lot less than everybody else at the school, because my parents were not super, super religious the way that everybody else was. Um, which made an interesting dynamic when I was fully believing it at school, but kind of turning it off at home. But I would say when I was young, we went every week to appease the school. We had to sign a form stating that we would go to church and that we wouldn't consume alcohol in public in order for me to go to that school. And then by the time I was a teenager, I was getting paid to accompany the church services. So at that point, I'm not sure if it's still devout or if it's a job <laughs> then i was of course going every week again <laughs> yeah and now in montreal now that you're in a different setting than the dakotas <laughs> do you still have a church you go to i'm not religious myself i have played organ and piano for several different churches here in montreal um, i'm not doing it at the moment though not currently which is partly because of the fur and everything being uh curfew and everything being closed and no worship services really happening in person um but it's also partly because now i work a nine to five job and actually have enough money to live so i don't have to take every single gig including boring church ones mm -hmm. did you participate in choirs yeah i mean in in high school i was in everything i was in choir show choir jazz choir band jazz band marching band all state band all state choir i was in every musical thing you can imagine <laughs> i haven't been in a choir now for about five years not that i wouldn't i just haven't made the time for it or put out put in the practice to audition for one or something yeah and like you said with the pandemic it's changing the scene and with the pandemic yeah how we deal with music and a lot of people think about reconversion singing is probably one of the most at-risk things you can do <laughs> during the pandemic <laughs> blowing all your particles all your germs <laughs> Yeah, my mom's actually a high school choir director, so it's been quite an interesting two years for her figuring out how to still do her job while being safe. Oh, wow. Does she do um, classes online? At first, the first year of the pandemic, so 2020 from March until May, they were doing online classes. And then ever since then, the state of South Dakota is so, uh, so conservative that there, there was never any rule whatsoever regarding COVID. There was no stay at home. There was no masks. There was no closures. And so even before vaccines were available, teachers were forced to teach in person and masks were not required of the students. So my mom, as a choir teacher, was put in quite an unsafe position. And she did eventually get COVID at work. Um, she was okay. She recovered. But it was it's quite a bad place to be, <laughs> just generally. Yes. I love 
certain things about it, but I would never live there out of self-preservation. Yeah, you'd think it's a bittersweet situation because as you don't have a lot of flow going in and out, you know, like Montreal being a bigger city, a lot of travelers, a lot of immigration, then you're a lot more exposed to the virus. But if you're in a little farm with a lot fewer inhabitants, then you're less likely to also get something from outside since you're more enclosed right. in your own bubble, like you said. But also, that being said... In smaller villages, people tend to be less aware of what's going on, how to protect yourself, how to wash your hands. They might not have uh, the same information. I don't know who's controlling the media there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to be honest, it's true. It took for basically every wave of the pandemic, it hit everywhere else first and came to us later. But it did get to us eventually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like our first one wasn't until like May or something. Like it didn't really start in March there. And then yeah. both years they had the massive motorcycle rally where 500,000 people descended on a small town with no masks. And they think it was responsible for millions of cases around the country. <laughs> Not a great leadership in place there. So what are other reasons that makes you not want to live there? Well, first and foremost, as a gay person, I just out of there's a lot of great work being done there, but I feel like I already put in my time. I did my part of the work while I was forced to live there and now that I can live somewhere better I'm going to. But also as a musician, as a classical musician especially, there's no jobs. <laughs> there's just no job <laughs> in music there. There's actually pretty good jobs in a number of fields. A lot of companies headquartered there because there's very relaxed tax laws. So there's usually an office job available or a finance job or something. But as far as being a gigging musician, good luck. <laughs> Although if you're open to being online, I think it's not bad to choose a place with lower cost of living and then working from your computer where you can be close to your family if that's your goal, if that's your choice. But yeah, there's, if there's a, a job you can do online. It's a very restful place to be out in the country. For me, I have no interest in doing music online. <laughs> yeah, I can see that because the main point of concerts or even teaching, it's the social aspect, the fact that you can connect with people. Well, that's what you don't get from watching a video on YouTube, so that you have that real connection. Yeah, and just uh, the way when you're performing music and you don't get any response, it's hard to gauge what they liked and what they didn't like, which is one of the big things when you play a concert. If you didn't play well or if you played a piece people aren't interested in, unless they're typing you a comment, there's no way for you to know on an <laughs> online performance. Whereas the brutal honesty of like a smaller amount of applause in person can be really helpful. Go either way, because if you have a shitty public that's going to throw tomatoes at you, then you may as well have <laughs> silence instead. <laughs> may as well have a salad at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Free food. <laughs> Well, I lived there for the first five months of the pandemic because I went and stayed with my parents when they announced the border was closing. That kind of freaked me out and I took a last minute flight. But besides that, I haven't lived in the Dakotas since 2018. And are the people down there pro-vaccine, sort of on the edge or maybe doubting a bit of the science? I think we are one of the lowest vaccine uptake states. But even still, I do think the one dose level is around 70% of the people there. So it's a lot better than I would have ever expected. I would have guessed we would plateau around 45 from the way people talk. 
that <laughs> there were so many deaths per capita in South Dakota. I mean, at several different points, we were the worst place on the globe for COVID deaths. So I think a lot of people did get scared into doing it. I only have one relative who refuses to do it, and none of us know what know what to do about him. Yeah, <laughs> we want to have family gatherings, but uh, what were awkward. But what were their arguments against the vaccine? He thinks it's going to change his DNA if oh, he gosh. takes it. Um, I am. I think there's a number of reasons that could be relevant why people would be worried about the vaccine, but I'm not sure that's one of them. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a few things in my DNA that I could seek to improve, so uh, bring it on. <laughs> you can't be a better version of yourself. I mean... <laughs> That's but funny. yeah, he. I'm very lucky, though, that he's the only one. I recently had a classmate from high school lose her mom to COVID because her mom refused to be vaccinated, and it's still circulating pretty widely there. So it's quite serious there, but nobody's taking it seriously. Um, there seems to have a, a strong influence from religious association, churches and stuff. So if they spread the right message, people would listen. I think it's also a matter of trust, because when you live in tight communities, everybody knows each other. So it's like you know who to trust, you know not to, like you know who to not trust. It's not like big, in big cities where you walk around in the streets and you don't know anybody, so you don't really know who to ask. Even searching for like a primary care physician can be very exhausting. Like I still struggle with the process of booking stuff online because you can trust reviews or you can trust that or one. you don't have internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> it's harder to find sources that you can rely yep. on but also it makes it a bit more beautiful because you have that that community that's going to be there for each other they can bring you chicken soup it's always that mentality that people kind of miss and think about making america great again they have that picture of everybody helping each other out knowing each other how how do you feel about that the, it's very true what you said that in a small town like that people are there for each other in a way that isn't present in a bigger city the caveat i would put is is that you have to be in the right category for people to be there for you. You know, like everybody there. Well, not, I'm not going to say everybody because there's a huge number of people living there who are wonderful people who I love and I don't want to sell them short. But there are a lot of people who just for no reason hate Mexican. You know, I heard lazy Mexican jokes constantly growing up there. Were there a lot of Mexicans in your town or in your area? It's definitely outside of white and indigenous. It's definitely the largest demographic group, but hard. I would hardly, maybe like a 3% of the population at most. It's very, very, very white. If you fit into the right category, then you can have a really beautiful experience there. And if you don't, then uh, it can be a very lonely place. And besides race and probably LGBTQA differences, can you think of other physical or maybe mental traits that could set you apart from the norms or from being from the right kind of group? Like, is there such a thing as like people who are uh, scared of fat people? Maybe people who are discriminating women, Sterni. I would say behind race and sexuality, the next is gender, especially. Well, I mean, we're constantly passing or trying to pass anti-trans legislation in the state, but there is a fair amount of misogyny going on. I don't think there's very much like institutional fat phobia in the way that you might. It's not necessarily an unfriendly place to be overweight because a decent portion of the population is overweight. It's difficult to have access to healthy foods in a lot of the parts of the state that are underserved. There's a few food deserts, and especially on the reservation 
reservations. There's not. There's just not enough availability of what it, of the things that it takes to keep a person healthy. And that is so ironic because when you think about farms, or actually a state that lives off of farms, you would think of organic growing <laughs> vegetables. You know, with like the sunshine. Uh, <laughs> the fact is, the state almost almost the whole state is dedicated to growing either soybean or cow corn, which is corn that's fed that's shipped down to Texas or to the western side of the state to feed cows. The vast majority of land in the state is not grown is not used to grow food that feeds humans, which I have always thought is a huge waste of an opportunity. Yeah, did you watch that documentary called Cowspiracy? I haven't, but I have heard of that. Yeah, it's talking exactly about how the US uses most of its land to feed the animals because we are overconsuming meat and if we just put more efforts into being more vegetarian, it's not even an effort. It's like we just need to have the education of what can we where can we get our protein source? And meat doesn't have to be so cheap, you know? Like I know we want the economy. <laughs> we want we want capitalism, we want a strong economy, we want food to be accessible, but I think quality needs to have its place. Yeah, the amount of meat that we waste, that's that's so shameful because they don't think about the living creature that was behind it. One thing I've really enjoyed since coming to Montreal, and actually even while I was in Fargo, in the big cities, it's a bit better, is just having access to different kinds of food, having access to more fresh foods. Of course, I can get vegetables in the grocery store in my hometown. It's not like we're living in the 1920s or something or during a wartime <laughs> famine or something. <laughs> But it's expensive. It's a lot cheaper here in Montreal to get a good vegetable or, frankly, even to go to a good butcher and get more ethically sourced meat. It's a lot easier. But since you have space in the Dakotas, wouldn't most people think about planting their own garden, even if it's not in their farms? If you don't live in an apartment, then I think... I would say a large proportion of people have a garden. My parents even were not farmers, but we have quite a large garden every year. And they do a lot of canning. They can a lot of mostly salsa and jalapenos because my parents are obsessed with spicy food. But I think a lot of people have a garden. And even my little town has a farmer's market once a week. So during those months of the year, it's definitely a wonderful place to eat. <laughs> It's just the other nine months that it's maybe a questionable. I love farmer's market. It's I do nice, too. Yeah, it's a nice place to socialize. <laughs> And just to like, even if you don't buy any of them, see like little crafts on display and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I like that stuff. <laughs> I know. So I lived in Pennsylvania for four years. And that was like an hour outside of Philly. They had a farmer's market by the train rails. I don't know if it's okay. why they put it there because the train would pass by all the time. It would be like very annoying if you wanted to talk to somebody. But it was so expensive. Like you could compare the quality of those food to Whole Foods. It would be slightly better, but maybe that's six times more expensive. Really? It's almost like you have to be so wealthy to have like this many like radishes for like six dollars. And I'm oh like, my gosh. <laughs> sure, I, like it doesn't make it easy to support the local businesses because even for them, it's like, I don't know if they eat their own stuff or if it's more profitable for them to sell it and then buy bigger quantities at Costco. Right. I guess uh, where I grew up, it was an hour drive to go to Costco. So I think most people are <laughs> growing their own. <laughs> We used to, when I was an undergraduate college, we used to 
on like a Friday night if we didn't have anything else to do. We would just go to Walmart because we all grew up so far away from Walmart that just having one was kind of fun to go see what Walmart is. <laughs> But what was the kind of luxury that you had? So besides playing the piano, which is one of the great pleasures that you have, but like what kind of uh, fun activities did you like to do? Aside from piano, I mean, it really took up most of my time. I was holding a lot of origami. I was really in, into that and like very complicated origami, but I think I was the only one in town. You know, it wasn't something that everybody was doing. When I was young, until I was maybe 10 or so, we had a horse. So sometimes I would just ride the horse after school for a little while. Was it a horse pet? Yeah, it was a pet. It was very, very old. It was super, super docile because it was so old. You could just kind of climb on his back and ride around a little bit. But he wasn't going to run pretty much for any reason. <laughs> <laughs> I never learned how to ride with a saddle and do it all properly and stuff. My cousins did, though. They were always riding in horse shows. I was wondering if you had um, hobbies that revolved around traveling since you had that urge to get out. I mean, like, you know, most people from villages, either they come there because their family's there or and they tend to stay there most of their lives. But for you, it's like you were young. And then you moved states and then you moved countries. Like, how common <laughs> is that? So I was wondering if being young, you had maybe uh, something that interests you, something you were watching or somebody that inspired you. To be honest, I'm not sure how common it is. I will say that out of the four or so people I'm still in contact with from high school, three of us moved to foreign countries. So I think the urge to get out was strong among various different kinds of people. <laughs> But as far as uh, what was I really into as a young kid that inspired me to travel, maybe Lara Croft Tomb Raider. I was obsessed with that, and she was always traveling around the globe. I wanted to see the places <laughs> that Lara went. <laughs> we did go on some vacations. We went to Hawaii when I was young, and we went to Maine when I was a teenager. So those were some big trips that I was able to take. And during undergrad, I went to Spain on on a tour with the wind orchestra from my university, which I was playing in at the time. That was really the only traveling I did before I moved, aside from traveling for auditions, which doesn't really count because you're stressed the whole time and you don't really experience the places you're going. What about languages? Uh, which ones and how many did you learn in school? The only language that was available to learn in my high school was Spanish. So I did take it for four years, but I uh, no recuerdo mucho. I don't remember very much. <laughs> and then in undergrad, I took Latin, German, and French. And now the only one I really remember is French because I live in Quebec and speak it every day. French, French, or Quebecois French? Later. <laughs> <laughs> Je comprends later. I understand both. But my speaking is getting more and more Quebecer by the day. And it never was very France French because I was learning it in university in North Dakota, you know. Yeah, come back to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> But I've lived in Quebec now for three years, and I pretty seriously studied French during the COVID pandemic because I had to pass the test for immigration reasons. And uh, do you intend on staying? At least in the medium term, I'm planning to stay. Like, I have no intention to move within the next five-ish years. I'm not so sure about 10 years, even less sure about 15 years. But for now, I can't even imagine another massive life change. So 
I've done enough of them. <laughs> and when you moved from North Dakota to Montreal, did you go directly to the gay village or did you explore other neighborhoods? I lived close to McGill. I lived in the McGill ghetto for one year. And then I moved about two metro stops further away to the near edge of the gay village. And then I moved one more time to the far edge of the gay village, <laughs> each time gaining one more room in the apartment I was living in. <laughs> Do you think that it's helping you get grounded to have that community to feel more invisible in a way, like to feel like you belong? Maybe. I'm not sure. It's hard to say with everything having been closed with COVID. I have felt that it's been difficult to integrate into the community because nothing's really going on. It was a bit better in summer um, and hopefully it will be better again soon, especially as someone who is only maybe been conversationally confident in French for the last five-ish months. I would say the real integration into the community is hopefully going to happen this summer because up until now, I've been a bit stunted in that regard. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope it works out for you. Yeah, and even if it doesn't, I still am enjoying being here and I do have some friends, don't get me wrong. It's just I, I'm not sure I'm in like the circles of the village or anything like that. When you're going to go back home in two days, what stories are, gonna, are you going to tell your folks about Montreal? <laughs> well, to be honest, I talk to them pretty often, so they pretty much know what's going on with me. Unfortunately, one of the big topics of conversation is always COVID, and I feel bad telling them how here we have actual rules and stuff, which they wish they had. And I feel bad complaining about having too many rules when they don't have any. <laughs> yeah, too many people talk about COVID. And I think this is the topic of conversation when my students are like, can we stop talking about it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so heavy now. It's, it's been years. It's exhausting. But when nothing else happens in your life, what do you talk about? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm taking a course right now to qualify for a promotion at work. So that's the other exciting thing in my life. But even that is not really that exciting as a topic of conversation, you know? Yeah. We had a wild Christmas party, though. We had our Christmas party in that two-week span where they were allowed. And everybody really let loose. <laughs> <laughs> I think in those times when things... Like you said, we're dead or things are uncertain because so many people pass away. It's like you have to let yourself a bit of fun. You have a to little bit of fun. Life. Yeah, it's about balance. You can't just. I'm like, really. What I'm really dreaming about is my family coming to visit me here because they have been here, but not for almost two years. And now I actually know the city and know the province and could take them to do some really fun stuff. And I have a not a big apartment, but big enough that they could stay here and save some money that way. And do you, do you picture them moving to Montreal with you? Never. <laughs> My parents will never uh, learn a second language or anything like that. Not that they couldn't, but I, it's not a priority for them. And their pensions and stuff are with the state of South Dakota and their friend circles are there. So I wouldn't expect them to ever come here. I think I probably will forever be the only Canadian in the family. Um, do you have siblings? My brother, I have one brother and a half brother who's much older than me, who I rarely see. But my brother brother lives in Portland, Oregon. He's two years younger than me. And uh, he has a strong background in cabinetry, but he got sick of it and drives for DoorDash for the moment. He's taking a break. That's still very cool. <laughs> Let's see how I, I totally respect it. We're totally opposites he's very very relaxed about everything and I'm very type a and stressed all the time so 
we travel really well together, actually, because I plan everything. And then when the plans don't work out, he says it's okay. But would you say it's uh, not normal, but maybe typical for your generation to move from always that trend from conservative places to more liberal places? Like, do you see the opposite? Do you see maybe people from Montreal, from Portland, Oregon, moving to South Dakota or North Dakota? Does that happen? I think there was actually. Actually, I think I read that there was an increase in people moving to South Dakota, people who were tired of COVID restriction who are moving there because there were none. I don't think they're people my age. I think they're people in their 30s who have two kids who they're sick of homeschooling and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But as far as people in my age, there are many who stayed and many who left. And I can't think of any who came. <laughs> Jackson or others don't know how old you are. Oh, well, I am <laughs> sorry about that. I am 26 now. I just turned 26. Yay. Uh, happy birthday. That was a few days ago. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, I'm 26. I uh, finished my master's degree in May 2020. So until that time, I was in school. Sounds And great. my brother is 23. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there could be a gap in generations, you're right. And also, it's maybe something we could reflect on because back in the days when women were kind of forced to be housewives and they had the kids all the time, it was less of a complaint or maybe we didn't hear, we didn't hear so much about it. But it's like how much have we adapted to have a full-time job, to have kids, to still have that expectations to be happy i feel very lucky i kind of got the best of both worlds because my mom has a full-time job but when i was born she took seven years off and during that time we had very little money but they decided it was worth it to have a parent at home with us while we were young until my brother went to kindergarten or first grade she was a stay-at-home mom and i really credit the fact that i was able to survive that kind of indoctrination without serious mental effect to having a strong foundation for the time before I even went there. <laughs> Were you taught by your parents to be open-minded about religion so they didn't force you to not believe or to believe? I honestly can't remember really any religious pressure coming from my parents anywhere along the way um, aside from maybe a small amount of like we have to do this for your school <laughs> they definitely didn't force us to be religious and they're only somewhat religious themselves so yeah and may the I pressure ask, was more coming from the community and may i ask if you were taught evolution in science classes at my little school yeah no we actually had a chapter where the tests were questions about charles darwin and how he was wrong. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We had a question about the famous bird beak thing where the different birds of all different beaks eat yeah. different foods. That was a multiple choice question and the answers were A, it was evolution or B, God has a marvelous design for nature and made them all unique and the correct answer was B. <laughs> how do you we were told about that? the earth was... 6,000 years old at most. We were praying for sodomites when gay marriage was legalized. And there was just a, a lot of, a lot of stuff we learned. Interesting stuff. I can still recite the books of the Bible in order. So I remember one thing from it, <laughs> but we did not. We did not have sex ed. I never had a day of sex ed in my life. Everything I learned, I learned on my own at age 16 when we finally got the internet. Because until then, I couldn't even look anything up online. We didn't have the internet at home. Did you have the privacy to look that up? When I was 16, I got a, a Kindle, a Kindle Fire. And on there is where I learned everything. Because before that, not only did I not have the privacy, but we there was just no way. We didn't have the internet. I couldn't, I couldn't Google anything. When did you come out? Another reason, another reason I played piano a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I came out, I mean, it was pretty quick turnaround from thinking maybe I'm gay to coming out. I think it was like I was 16 or seven. I was 17 when I did it. And I was dating a girl at the time and I really wanted to be in love with her because she was so cool. But, uh, didn't work out that way. What happened? Well, I came out to her and to a few other close friends as bi because I really wanted that to be true. And I think that's a common thing for people to do. And then about four months later, we mutually had kind of a meeting and we we're like, yeah, you're not bi. And <laughs> I don't think I ever like publicly came out, but it wasn't a secret either. I just like didn't make an announcement. I know other gay people in my school didn't have a good experience, but I had a fine experience because my mom was a teacher. So nobody could really touch me because my parent was right there. But so did you know if your friends were supportive when you told them or your ex? My ex was much nicer to me than any person should ever have to be in that situation. She was great. Um, my family was great. As far as my friends, I don't really remember. It must not have been bad because I don't recall anything super bad happening. I think in that environment, when you come out, everybody's reaction is, thank you for telling me I'll keep this secret for you. You know, it's not like, oh, you came out. Now we can talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. It's more along the lines of like, oh, I'm one of the ones you felt safe to tell. Thank you. And I won't tell anyone. Did you want them to keep that a secret? I personally didn't care, again, because I knew I was pretty untouchable with my mom as a teacher. Um, it made it was kind of the last straw on not being in touch with some of the people from my elementary school and middle school, the religious one. Got myself uninvited from a few weddings by coming out, I think, or I know. Um, but at that point, I didn't care about those people very much anymore because I was starting to come out of the indoctrination and realize what else is available in the world. But do you think he was somewhat protective to get away from that religion or that education you had? Because if that thinking of people who are not in the norms are going to go burn in hell, then you don't want <laughs> that for yourself. So there needs to be a choice. Either you pity yourself and burn in hell and then... Still stay in the closet, or you can also accept that there may be other points of view out there. Yeah, I think uh, until I started removing myself from that frame of mind, that very, very cultish frame of mind, I didn't even have like a sexual thought. Like my brain protected me from thinking I was gay by like not thinking about it at all. I started puberty very late, maybe 14 or 15 years old. So I didn't have to confront those things as young as a lot of other people do. So by the time I was really feeling like an adult, like a sexual adult, I was already on well on my way out. I really feel very lucky about the path I've taken in life. Most things happened for me at pretty much the ideal time. One or two things I would tweak, but... <laughs> yeah, and did you date other men right away? There were none to date. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was one other gay person in my town. Well, there were two. One of them was one year younger than me, and one of them was two years younger than me. One of them was super weird. No offense to him. I'm sure he's doing great now. What can you do when you're gay in South Dakota? Um, and the other one I did date <laughs> eventually. <laughs> so it's like you don't have that many choices and you try because you wanted to try. Yeah, if you, if you wanted to have a relationship, you had your choice. And so I took it. And I, I'm not trying to sell him short. He was cute. He was nice. Eventually, we were not a match. But he's not like a bad person or something. 
Yeah, no, 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 not like this, but mostly when I'm we're comparing ourselves to what we have right now, the resources, Tinder, Grinder, all of these things. It's like limitless potential of meeting everybody. Like you can literally have like one person, like one day to night. But like yeah. when you're in small towns and you have to drive for I don't know how many hours to meet a date. Like you make it more <laughs> precious, you put more efforts, you have less of that consumer society that I can dump this guy or this girl. And it's giving you a different perspective when your choices are just two other guys and it's true i think the closest guy on grinder when because I, i did try it out in my hometown i think the closest one was about 25 miles away <laughs> so <laughs> it was pretty much a hopeless situation as far as was dating cute, though? his profile picture was an extremely up close and grainy image of a fish so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> what the hell why <laughs> Oh, fishing is big down there. Everybody <laughs> loves to fish. But yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it was a fish he caught. I'm sure he was his hand. Are you was sure in the it's picture. not? Are you sure it's not a catfish? <laughs> I think it was a. I think it was a bass, as it happened. <laughs> I don't really remember it that clearly. Okay, but, so you can yeah, tell us. I think I did get catfished in Fargo one time. Okay, tell us about it. It's going to be a great story. Well, it, it's not that great of a story. It's just uh, this one guy who I had met once and didn't have a good time and told him I wasn't interested in, in coming back. And then se maybe a year later or several months later, I was talking to another guy who was cute, seeming and nice. And he gave me his address. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I've been to I've been to someone's apartment in that building before. And I pulled up and he stepped out of the door. And I was like, you're using someone else's pictures to get me to come here and I kind of cussed him out in the middle of the street and drove away <laughs> which in hindsight was not the wisest choice in case he was like deranged or something but I oh. was fine <laughs> so he was really after you again even in Fargo not that many choices <laughs> I can't really blame promise. him <laughs> there were certainly more choices in Fargo don't get me wrong but you know mm -hmm. it's not like here where I can scroll all the way to the bottom of the men that are still be within a kilometer of myself <laughs> like just like walk into the gay village cold very very cold in winter very very hot in summer both seasons are easier in montreal so i'm happy to be here <laughs> the cold does allow for cuddle time for sure the, the hot summers that i'm not too sure as long as we don't have mosquitoes i'm happy i'm much better built to live in the cold not saying i prefer winter i prefer summer but as far as my body goes i'm more miserable when it's too hot than when it's too cold for sure like about half apartments don't even have these mine doesn't i have an ac unit of my own but i don't even have that i have a fan i have a fucking fan. oh yeah <laughs> that's what i did in my first one and i said never again so when they were cheap 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 in like january i bought one yeah i cannot even open the windows during the summer because i live next to a train railroad oh. and comes all the time but those are the big trains for merchandise so they're very heavy they make a lot of noise and wow. yeah it tends to wake me up and you get a lot of dust as well So I closed the windows. I also closed the door for light purposes and I put the fan on. And, say, and yours is on a top floor, right? Or yeah. a high floor at least. Yeah. So I'm lucky <laughs> here I'm on the ground floor, which comes with its own issues, but at least it's somewhat cooler. True, but you get more bugs. More bugs. Uh, I haven't seen very many bugs here, <laughs> fingers crossed. Because, um, yeah, I don't think I would enjoy dealing with that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, growing up on a farm, 
bugs were a part of life. We had a separate vacuum just for bugs. So, Ooh, that's what my neighbor told me. He's also from the countryside, but here in Quebec. And he says, because at some point we had mice in our building and the exterminator was extremely hot, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and my neighbor started saying, well, it's part of life. Like you cannot find them dirty. You just have to think that they were here before us. Part of I don't share that point of view. I, sh I share the experience of growing up in a house where bugs were an inevitability, but I still don't want them. <laughs> but you know, God but created But I'm not afraid to crush creatures. them myself. <laughs> How dare <laughs> <laughs> I just want to maybe mention one more time that not I've really made South Dakota sound like not a good place and I stand by that but not everybody there is horrible there are a lot of wonderful people living there <laughs> um, my own family included but many other people of all kind who either live there by choice or because it costs too much to leave and as much as I have chosen to escape and get out and make it not my problem anymore there are a lot of people for whom it is still a problem so i don't want to make it the butt of too many jokes until it's a safe place to be <laughs> that's wonderful and I especially hope for indigenous populations which are constantly under attack <laughs> in that state oh wow and we should talk about this more which are a huge portion of the state's population i think we have more reservations than almost any other state and originally our mountain range was a reservation until they found gold there and then they just unceremoniously took it <laughs> but yeah the state of south dakota has i think four official languages english dakota lakota and nakota but none of those three languages are taught in any of the state's schools did you try so, to learn it for fun never i never was interested in it while i lived there because it's not a part of anything we learn about it's only since i moved away that i and got a more holistic view of the world that I became interested in some of the more shady things that have happened in my state. I didn't really know about them while I was living there. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Do you happen to have a last piece of advice for listeners? A piece of advice with regards to what? To the episode, like anything um, you'd like the listeners to know. I would say... If you're ever thinking about a vacation in South Dakota, just make sure you go to the western half because it's gorgeous. There's a mountain range, there's bad land, and it's very, very beautiful. But I would also follow that up with a question of why you're vacationing in South Dakota and not somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we're going there in two days, I really yeah. hope that you have a, a safe trip and have a good time with your family. Be it's going to be great. <laughs> And thank you so much for being on the episode. Thanks for asking me to come. I hope it was. Uh, I hope that what we talked about was interesting to people. I hope so too, but I'm sure it will be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hope to see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Monsters. I hope you liked it. If you'd like to take a French lesson with me, don't hesitate to go on the Education Monsters website to book a class. I'll be super happy to get to know you and we can practice languages together. Don't forget to subscribe to the website and you'll get a notification when a new blog article comes out. Last but not least, please, please, please consider making a donation to my Patreon account. This education project means so much to me and I'll greatly appreciate it if I can have your support. Thanks again and I'll see you for the next episode on Thursday.